In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the great feast of the Assumption of Our Lady and the Mass, the entrance antiphon to the Mass gives us a hint, a theme to start our prayer with. Let us all rejoice in the Lord. Gaudiamus omnes in Domino. As we celebrate the feast day in honour of the Virgin Mary, at whose assumption the angels rejoice and praise the Son of God. So we rejoice, we join with the angels in their rejoicing. So it's a very much a joyful day. We're celebrating with Mary. She is sharing in the resurrection, the victory of her son. And we too know that we can share in that resurrection and in that victory, both at uh, the resurrection, but also during this life. We have a foretaste, an anticipation of the victory in grace in our souls and in our lives. Joy. We sometimes think of joy as simply meaning that we're in good humour or that things are going well for us and so we're, we're happy. It's a kind of passive feeling which comes and goes. And it depends a little bit on how things are working out for us. But I suppose we'd have to say that the joy that we're encouraged to feel today is slightly different. It's a joy that comes from a victory, the victory of Christ, the victory of his mother associated with, with his own victory. And a victory involves um, a battle, an adventure. It isn't just a state of mind, it's actually can be quite a stern test which one has managed to pass, a battle which one has won. And that kind of joy is slightly different. It's a great sense of exhilaration and happiness which goes deeper than just the mood that one happens to be in. And especially when it's a victory, which is not just our own victory, but it's the victory of Christ himself, the victory over sin and death, and over all that is mean and petty, which we experience sometimes, unfortunately, in our own, in our own activity, in our own uh, living. Uh, but Christ has overcome all that for us and in us, and allows us to overcome it with him. So it's, it's not a flimsy victory, and it's not even just a, 
a natural human victory which well it can be overcome later on this is the final this is the the complete uh, victory over sin and death over all that is evil and that holds us back and Jesus wants us he wants to share that first of all with his mother because he shared everything with her and she was ready to to share it she took all that she was given by God to heart. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And those weren't just words, they were her whole life. She wanted that it should be done to her according to the word of the angel, the word of God. Thy will be done, as we say every day in the Our Father. Well, Mary said and did that so completely. So it's no wonder that she shared so much in the victory of Christ. But we too are able to share in that victory. In many ways, every day, we can conquer our faults. We can turn to God, we can turn back to him when we need to. We can line our lives up with the life of Christ. It can take a little bit of an effort, a bit of a battle, as we were saying earlier on, but we can do it with God's grace. He helps us to live that way and to overcome whatever limitation, whatever small-mindedness or that may be holding us back. So we're, we're part of this victory ourselves. So that's something, I suppose, to, to, to ask for. Lord, may I really put your victory, your resurrection into practice in my life, in everything that happens, in the good and the bad, in the disappointments and in the joys, in everything that occurs to me. I want to experience it with you and to have you, to let it be your life, your grace that's working through what I do for the benefit of others too. In our case, it happens little by little. While in the case of Our Lady, well, obviously we think of her assumption into heaven, body and soul. Or we think of her immaculate conception where she's conceived completely without any sin and is completely given over to God. Whereas we may have to work at things little by little. And that can be frustrating, slow, might wonder, am I making any progress at all? We can never really know how well we're doing or how much progress we're making. But if we have do things in that spirit, we can be pretty sure, I think, that our lives really are linked to the life of Christ and that with his grace we are making progress. The readings at Mass are really so inspiring. The first reading from the book of the Apocalypse. The sanctuary of God in heaven opened and the Ark of the Covenant could be seen inside it. The Ark of the Covenant, which was meant so much to the Israelites, the the container, the of gold which contained the 
covenant, the very stone tablets in which the Ten Commandments were inscribed by God and which marked this covenant between the people and God in which God committed himself to the people that they should be his people. And obviously they committed themselves that he would be their God. And the Ark of the Covenant contained this in a, in a physical way for a long time, as long as it was there in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle in the desert. And now, of course, the one thing we all know about the Ark of the Covenant is that it's lost. But it still means something. And it's no wonder that in the litany of the rosary, we, we say Ark of the Covenant. We, we apply this title to uh, Mary. And it, it should mean a lot to us, as it must have meant a lot to a pious Jew um, who was aware of this, uh, you know, of what this meant. Our sense that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of God, is what we're thinking about when we read that passage from the old, from the book of the Apocalypse. The Ark of the Covenant could be seen within the sanctuary of God. Mary is the dwelling place of God, of the word, of the covenant in person. Think of what Jesus says at the Last Supper. You know, this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. Well, Mary is linked to that new and everlasting covenant. And so we think of her being the Ark of the Covenant. And so when we, if we do say the Rosary and if we do say the Litany, today we could think about that and just cherish that notion a little bit more deeply and uh, intimately that Mary is the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of God. then the reading goes on. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. A great sign appeared in heaven. This is an extraordinary vision, and we can barely imagine what we're saying or what we're hearing when those words are proclaimed. Great sign now appeared in heaven, a woman adorned with the sun, the moon at her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. It's just, I suppose, enough really to, to savour uh, those words, to, to hear them and to take them in and to relish them, that... As Mary had said in her Magnificat, which we look at later in the Gospel, all generations will call me blessed. 
And it is true like that in every generation of the life of the church, we have found different ways of calling Mary blessed. Different generations in different ways. The Middle Ages thought of Mary as the the, the, the lady uh, the, for whom the knight uh, did, um, did battle. We think of Mary now a days much more as a mother, and the Second Vatican Council proclaimed her as the mother of the church, for instance. There are all different aspects of the truth, of the beauty of, of, of Mary. And without a doubt, none of those uh, titles gets close to what we hear today. None of these titles manages to say what we are saying and what we are hearing when we read that fantastic description. A woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And probably the best thing we can do is to say, hear, hear. Um, of course, let's you know, simply join in uh, the, this great hymn of praise. And uh, as Mary had said, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, imagine a humble girl from Nazareth being able to say that without the slightest hint of pride or out of, in total humility. In the same breath, she says, he has regarded the lowliness, the humility of his handmaid. So it's all of this, her beauty comes out uh, in this way. And we do try to join in and to make that beauty, uh, our, make those words our own. Because when we praise God and praise the saints, but in particular when we praise Mary, you could say, well, it's not that they need our praise, but it does us so much good. It's the best use we can give to our voice, to our thoughts, to our ambitions, to our wills, to want to praise God, to put everything we have and everything we are at his feet. And um, we lose nothing. In fact, we, we gain everything by, by doing so. And then we turn to the second reading. Um, from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And he starts off uh, with a quotation or with a phrase which sort of links up pretty well, pretty clearly, as you would expect with today's feast day. Christ, he says, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. And Mary, you could say, is the next because she belongs to him so totally. Uh, we can think of saints who obviously belong to Christ and we know, we often read the lives of saints probably and we're conscious that you know, they obviously did, you know, their lives were so bound up with, with Jesus. And that's fantastic. But even they, even the greatest of the saints, are somehow outside of the mystery of the incarnation of God made man. Whereas in the case of Mary, she is the mother of God. And she is, on her depends the incarnation. Everything depended on her, her, her willing it. 
the higher. Be it done to me according to your word. So she's part of the mystery of Christ in a way that nobody else could ever really be as his mother. And as a result, as you, can, uh, you would expect her to share in his victory over sin and death, where she had such a huge part in enabling him, you might say, obviously not enabling in the strict sense, but in opening the, the door of her heart and of the whole world, in a way, to, to God, uh, to, to accept this great adventure, this great venture of God, of turn, uh, bringing us back to his to him through his son um, she shares in that victory um, and we rejoice in this fact that she is the first she is after Christ who is the first fruits she is the next you might say in line to have been raised from the dead to be close to Christ in his victory in heaven body and soul because she belongs to him in the most total way imaginable. She shares in his victory. But we can also share in it whenever we do join in the battle, um, the battle against our own weaknesses, our faults and our failings, the battle against sin, um, when we battle, and even at times when we don't battle, because at times we probably have to admit that we just, you know, we fall down on the job and we, we just don't bother um, fighting, uh, struggling um, in this great battle of peace and love and joy that is ours to, to fight in, to wage war, uh, sometimes against ourselves. But even when that happens, if we manage, like the prodigal son, to find our way back, just as happened in the parable, the prodigal son gets a fantastic welcome from his father. And, um, you know, there's a huge celebration and um, we're back again as a son or daughter rather than a stranger or servant. The prodigal son thought, well, that's, you know, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a stranger, I'm going to be a servant, but at least I'd get fed if I go home. But St. Paul reminds us, you know, that we're, we're not supposed to be strangers or servants uh, to fall back into fear again. We're, we're children. We can say, Abba, uh, Father. So there's, as the father obviously doesn't even say it to his son, he doesn't listen to what he's saying, you know, treat me as one of your hard servants. Before he's had a chance to get those words out, the father is already embracing him and ordering the servants to kill the potted calf, to bring the best robe, put a ring on his finger and all the trimmings for the, for the celebration. So we too uh, find our way home again as a son or daughter, rather than as a stranger or, or, or servant. And um, so we, we can we take part in this battle in a different way, as we were saying earlier, in a more gradual way, step by step. But each step is really important, and it does help us to be linked up, lined up with Christ, to be living his life. As um, St. Maria used to say, Jesus, let's do this together, whatever this might be, a job he was doing, or problem he was solving or whatever it might be he always felt that he was close to, to Jesus in those events and we can too and finally in the gospel we have 
the Magnificat. Mary has come to visit her cousin, Saint Elizabeth, and she comes bearing with her her son. She has just been told by the angel that she is to be the mother of God, and her first action is to head off to the village, Ayn Karim perhaps, where Elizabeth lived. And it's a bit like the Ark of the Covenant, in fact it covers the same territory, the hill country near near Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant had been and where David danced before it on the way back into Jerusalem when he brought it in to be situated in the centre of the chosen people and eventually in the temple which his son would build, Solomon would build. He danced before the Ark and um, the same verb is used for what John the Baptist does, the unborn Baptist in his mother's womb, womb of Elizabeth. The same verb is referring to his leaping uh, with joy in his mother's womb as J David's leaping with joy before the Ark of the Covenant. So there's obviously great parallels here, great symbolism to be found in this. Mary is now very much acting as the Ark of the Covenant, bringing the covenant itself to Elizabeth and Zachary and bringing healing to, to them. Um, Elizabeth immediately understands, she intuits what her son, her unborn son is saying uh, about the presence of the Lord and how Mary is the mother of my Lord. How have I deserved that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And blessed is she who believed that what God, the promise made her by the Lord, would be fulfilled. So she praises Mary in those fantastic uh, words. Blessed is blessed are you who who, who believed. And um, and Mary's response is to burst out, to break out into the famous um, Magnificat. Uh, a hymn of praise to God, which sums up so many um, psalms and other canticles from the Old Testament. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit exults in God, my Saviour. She magnifies God. And Pope Benedict, in his famous homily on the 15th of August 2005 in Castel Gandolfo, talked about the Magnificat and how Mary shows in that um, hymn of praise that she is the, um, while she is magnifying God, God is also magnifying her by, be, by giving herself to God in this way, by opening her heart to praise God like this. She is all, she has enhanced herself because God has shown the power of his arm. And from this day forward, all generations will call me blessed. So as Pope Benedict puts it, she doesn't see God as a rival, as a lot of people do nowadays. Well, not just nowadays. We've always had that kind of temptation to think, the more God, well, the less me. The more I bring God into my life, well, the less room for manoeuvre, the less freedom I'm going to have. But in fact, it is God, above all, who guarantees and underwrites our freedom. 
And when we turn away from him, that's really the problem, when the problems arise and when we uh, lose the freedom, lose the uh, autonomy and the goodness in our lives that he wants us to, to have. In his, in the setting of, of God, that's when our lives really begin to make sense. And Our Lady, if you like, is the paradigm case of this happening. In her life, her total commitment to God made her own personality and her own freedom and her own um, ability to just to live her life to the full um, happen. And it's the same with us, obviously at a different level because, well, we're poor creatures. She is the mother of God, but she shows us the way and she wants us to share this life that she had with God ourselves so lord help us to see as she did so clearly and so deeply that you are not a rival to us that in turning to you we become what you really meant us to be and discover unsuspected depths perhaps in our minds and our hearts and our abilities talents even our failings, I suppose, not just our talents, but our, our failings, our mistakes, because if we turn to you with our failings and with our mistakes, then like the good thief on the cross, he hadn't really got much to offer apart from his failings and uh, his life of somewhat of crime, presumably. And maybe he was uh, unjustly punished, but still he, he, he admitted on, on the cross that you know he was being justly punished, so possibly that was the case. But... So even though that was all he had to bring, well, Jesus was able to take that and turn it into greatness. And uh, St. John Paul II, when he was here in Ireland in 1979, Phoenix Park, he talked about, he was rather chuffed to hear that the Irish bishops had suggested to us that over the summer, coming up to that date in September, that we had been encouraged to go to confession. And uh, he said that he was so delighted to hear that that was our preparation and he said that he felt that as somebody who is ready to go to confession to acknowledge the truth of their guilt they show great human as well as obviously supernatural um, uh, greatness and um, so so even our faults and our failings even our weaknesses are part of the package if we turn it all over to our lord and let him uh, take it over in that case you know we magnify the lord as mary did to some degree at least, but he wants to magnify us. He wants to give us. He wants to fill us with good things. Um, the hungry, he has filled with good things. The rich sent empty away. So let's allow him to, to do that, to, to, to grant us this. And in the words of the prayer uh, of today's Mass, um, Having received the sacrament of salvation, this is for after Holy Communion, um, we ask you to grant, O Lord, that through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom you assumed into heaven, we may be brought to the glory of the resurrection. So it's a great feast day just to think of the glory of the resurrection, to realise that our destiny is not merely to have a, you know, to be happy here, here on earth, so that can be it's, it's the... the there is no happiness quite like the happiness of, of the saints, but that our true goal, 
our true dwelling place is in heaven. And today, days like this feast day can help us to kind of to foster that ambition, that hunger for the true happiness that God has in store for us, the happiness which Mary wants us to share with her. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.